welcome to Strange Old World, the podcast where we unearth the unusual sides of historic cities. I'm Joe, and in each episode, I talk to a local expert and ask them to pick one strange thing to see, one strange thing to do, and one strange thing to eat or drink. We also talk about strange festivals, bizarre bits of history, and out there day trips. In this episode, we're covering Tbilisi, the Georgian capital that dates all the way back to the 5th century. There's a bizarre foundation myth concerning a bird being cooked in a hot spring, but we'll get to that later. What's undeniable is that Tbilisi is old, but why is it strange? Who better to ask than Emily Lush, a Brisbane-born, Georgia-based travel writer? Emily's travel blog, Wanda Lush, is the go-to resource for Georgia travel advice. She's also the author of two Tbilisi travel guides. There are links to these and her blog in the description. Okay, let's get on with it, shall we? In this episode, you'll hear about various Tbilisi oddities, from Stalin's secret printing press to a hangover soup made from cow guts. There's no bad language in this one, but there is a bit of castration chat. As with all our episodes, Emily's picks are up on our website, strangeoldworld.com, and stick with it to the end for my favourite strange Tbilisi attraction. Okay, off we go. Welcome to the podcast, Emily Lush, a freelance travel writer, blogger and photographer based in Georgia, brackets the country for our American listeners. Uh, you've written for Condé Nast, National Geographic and many others, as well as running your own blog, Wanda Lush, which we'll get to in a bit. First though, can you tell me how you ended up in Georgia? I think you moved there in 2020, but you'd been before, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So I'm Australian, about as far away from Georgia as you can get in many ways. Um, yeah, I, f- I first came here as a tourist in 2017. Um, I just had a hunch that I would like it. So I gave myself three months to explore the country and the region, the South Caucasus more broadly. And yeah, I was right. I, I really fell in love with Tbilisi um, and you know, came back a few more times after that. And then beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic became a thing, um, I decided, my husband and I, we came here, we uh, wanted to spend about six months living in Tbilisi. That was our plan. And then basically we got stuck because uh, we couldn't return to Australia. Well, we made the decision to stay here, um, honestly. And yeah, we've been here like ever since then. Last month, I left the country for a month and that's the longest I've been away the rest of the time. Uh, so almost four years traveling, living in Georgia. Wow. So why did you choose to settle down in Georgia in particular? I know you're in Kutaisi now, but you first moved to Tbilisi and you write a lot about the city, obviously. Yes. What makes it such a special place to visit? It's a good question. And if there's one thing um, that I love about Georgia, about Tbilisi specifically, it's like the aesthetic. So I love architecture and art and all this. And it's such a such an interesting country. In you know, it's a cliche to say that it's um, between Europe and Asia, but really it is one of these countries where East meets West, and you see that very clearly in the architecture and um, different creative stuff. So I just love um, cities that you can walk, and I'm really into photography. So the aesthetic of Tbilisi is just something that um, is very captivating, and I never tire of. I love just exploring the city on foot. There are lots of amazing things about Georgia that you kind of slowly unravel um, over time. Obviously food, wine, it's the birthplace of wine. So Mm -hmm. if you like wine, it's very interesting um, in that respect. I was in Georgia uh, 
I think pre-boom, so maybe 2014-ish. Right. And we went to a lot of vineyards. And I remember they put the wine, it's like in a clay pot and they bury it underground. Exactly. And this is a, they're called quivery. And this is a method that was used 8,000 years ago. And they still use it today. And it's like, you know, they were, they were doing natural wine, low intervention wine before it was popular. That's just the way they do it here. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every family is involved in winemaking, makes their own wine. So there's like literally millions of different um you know, varieties of wine you can try. Um, And yeah, that's another thing, you know, that goes hand in hand with wine is the hospitality. People here are really lovely, um, known for being very, um, I don't know, vivacious. And, you know, there's lots of like, it's just a very like a vibrant culture when you do get down to it. Um, And the traditions of um, dance and singing and all that are really um, very spectacular. Uh, The landscape here is just or inspiring the mountains are incredible very small country but you have such a variety of landscapes and Tbilisi um, is obviously a great base for exploring but Kutaisi where I now live is an even better base because it's closer to the Black Sea mm-hmm. and the mountains um, so I left Tbilisi just because it was getting um, a little bit busy um, and I wanted a bit of a tree change because I'm getting old um, <laughs> Kutaisi is like the fourth largest city um, it's a very interesting city as well but I go back to Tbilisi at least once a month because there's always something new happening that I have to go and see for myself. Hopefully talk about a few of those things shortly. So what were you doing before? So you were working in Australia and then you came as a digital nomad. Is that right? Yeah. I So I studied journalism, um, which we might talk about a bit more later. But yeah, I, um, I was working for a magazine in Australia and I had this idea to be a digital nomad. This was in 2015. Um, so we, we left Australia, we went to Thailand, we went to Chiang Mai Lovely. to make our digital nomad dream come true, quickly realized that it wasn't as easy as, uh, it seemed. And I actually, um, worked for a couple of years. I was very lucky to get into a volunteer program. That's kind of like the Peace Corps. So I ended up in Southeast Asia, living in Cambodia and Vietnam for two years. Wow. Um, and I was working in communications, um, with small NGOs. So that was a great experience, um, between Cambodia and Vietnam. This is when I first came to Georgia, um, wanting to see a, a very different um, part of the world. So that that's kind of my background. Um, but yeah, I studied journalism. I've always loved writing. Um, I started my blog as a hobby uh, when I left Australia and it kind of grew into a business um, pretty much when I came to Georgia for the first time because 2017, it was kind of becoming a hot destination. Yep. And suddenly my little blog that was um, very unprofessional and had no readers, suddenly I had you know, a bit of an audience. This is at uh, wonder-lush.org. I'll link to this in the podcast description. I'm very jealous that you have a travel punnable surname, by the way. Yes, it is my real name. (laughs) (laughs) So your blog, obviously you cover Georgia and the Caucasus region a lot, but you do have pieces on uh, Southeast Asia and South America and all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it started out as as like a journal, I guess. Um, Although I was sort of trying to be more of a freelance writer. So I was also putting stories that I couldn't find a home for um, on the blog. So Mm -hmm. just writing about all different things. But yeah, I think most blogs start that way with just sort of written for friends and family and then they kind of evolve. So obviously I I just write about the places I go for the most part. So when I was traveling in the Balkans, I'm writing about the Balkans. When I'm in Asia, I'm writing about Asia. And just because I've been in Georgia for so long, um, you know, I have like more than 200 guides to Georgia. I love going to small 
small towns and like weird places. And um, so it has evolved to become very Georgia focused, which uh, is kind of what I'm known for now. But yeah, I still write about other places. I was just in Albania. So I have some Albania stuff I'm working on at the moment. The new Georgia, they're calling it. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, what, what you were saying, 2017 Georgia really took off. I think Albania is now 2023 is Albania. Good. Maybe my timing is, <laughs> is caught on again. <laughs> Um, I know people that sign up to your newsletter, they get uh, a free guide, 365 Things to Do in Georgia, which I heartily recommend. But even more excitingly, you have a new Tbilisi-specific guidebook available to buy called the Tbilisi City Guide. Uh, Can you tell me a bit about that? So this is something I, it's been in the works forever. And, you know, Tbilisi, which maybe I'll talk about this more, but it's a city that is changing so much. And even since I've been back in 2020, it is really changing a lot. So I'm very much a perfectionist. I very like, um, and detail oriented. And I want this city guide, this book to be, you know, as close to perfect as possible. It's never going to happen as I've now realized, but I think if anyone's going to write an imperfect city guide, it should be me because I know Tbilisi really well. (laughs) So yes, I have this book that is, it just brings together everything I've learned about the city in the time that I've been here, my favorite things to do and eat and see a lot of stuff from the blog, but everything is original. Basically, I've just gone like deeper on a lot of topics um, and it kind of just brings everything together into something that's a bit more user-friendly because now my website is getting a little bit out of control with the (laughs) volume of stuff. So I've done it differently. It's by neighborhood. A little bit more practical for people who are actually traveling in Tbilisi and looking for, yeah, the best things to do and eat and all that. Amazing. And where can people get it? Um, it will be available on my website as a like an ebook to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then I will probably, maybe by the time this is that you're listening to this, it will be on Amazon as well. We'll see uh, the logistics of how that goes. But yeah, definitely on my website, you will find a nice banner on the homepage advertising it. And also for anyone who's considering living in Tbilisi for a while, you also wrote the Digital Nomad Guide to Tbilisi, which is already available, right, to buy? Yes, it's available on Gumroad, um, so for Kindle and as a PDF ebook as well. And I co-wrote that with um, my friend and colleague, Baya Dagnize, who is a blogger, Georgian, lives in Tbilisi. So we have the kind of expat and the local perspective combined into this very practical guide to moving not just for digital nomads most people who move here are digital nomads so that's why we titled it this way but it's just about living in Georgia living in Tbilisi navigating um, all the little bits and pieces that you need to know before you relocate here Okay, so now it's time to talk about some of the stranger stuff. I'm going to ask for your advice on weird and wonderful things to experience in the Georgian capital. First up, can you suggest a strange thing to see in Tbilisi? Right. So if you know about Georgia, perhaps you know uh, about Georgia because of Stalin. Mm-hmm. So Stalin was born in a, in a smaller city called Gori, which is um, west of Tbilisi. But you do find these connections to Stalin in Tbilisi because he studied there and... Um, I don't know, worked there, was arrested there, whatever, however you describe it. But one place that's really um, weird, um, very weird, is it's it's called Stalin's Printing Press. And it's sort of this, It's they call it a museum, but it's really 
um, you know, that's a bit um, generous. It's really just a, a room. It's underground. It's like in the place where they built this clandestine um, printing press to print off propaganda materials. This was in 1904 that they started it, so a young Stalin. Um, and, yeah, you can go down. You, you walk down these stairs. They used to access it through a well, but now there's some stairs. And you see this, like, German printing typographic machine just, like, in this dungeon with a bare light bulb lighting it up. And this is sort of... Um, a relic of this um, printing press where they were working. It was it was shut down after a couple of years, but then when Stalin came to power, he actually wanted it to become a, a museum. So I think he had a hand in, in making it a museum. And yeah, it still runs today. And it's very like informal. It's in a residential area. Not many people know about it. It's very weird. Um, I think the, the caretaker of the museum is like fully a card-carrying communist. He's a really strange guy. So just meeting <laughs> him um, is also a very strange experience. It's like a link back to, to history um, that is just, you know, very icky, um, obviously. But yeah, a really, a really weird thing to see in Tbilisi. Amazing. That sounds really interesting. I'm intrigued by you said before you accessed it via a well. Did they winch you up and down in a bucket? Like, how did you how did you get down? There, there? was a bucket involved. They still oh. have the bucket. I'm not sure. You know, it was a small bucket, so I'm not sure how how the logistics <laughs> worked. Maybe the bucket, maybe the well was the disguise, and there was a secret tunnel. I think it was ah, like possibly. 15 meters or something of tunnel. Um, but they they very purposefully built it under this very inconspicuous residential house um, to avoid being detected. So that's where it still stands today. Can I ask you for a strange thing to do in Tbilisi? So there are so many strange things. Uh, the one I've picked, um, I'm just going to say, go inside a stranger's house. So I don't mean go inside their living room or anything like that, but go inside a hallway or an entryway of one of these apartment buildings that are so many beautiful buildings in Tbilisi of the like Art Nouveau, classic European kind of style that were built um, at the turn of the century when Georgia is sort of looking to be more European in its thinking and in its aesthetic as well. So yeah, you have these beautiful mansions in the city center that were built by wealthy merchants, people involved in the oil industry. And then when communism arrives, um, they get seized and they get divided up uh, so that multiple families can live inside. So what happens is you have these you know, huge buildings that were private. They're now sort of shared between families. So where you enter the building, these hallways and these um, like stairwells and vestibules, they're sort of like public spaces almost okay and they're lavishly decorated they are absolutely gorgeous um there's a historian in georgia who says a man's foyer was like his business card so all these merchants were trying to like one-up each other and have the most decadent decorations so you have like venetian glass and amazing mosaics and um you know the best part is the paintings on the walls these like amazing landscapes of Africa and all these exotic places where these businessmen were doing their trading um, and just very, very lavish stuff. Obviously, a lot of it um, is like decaying, but there's like a sense of beauty in that as well. It's kind of this like a time capsule, this faded grandeur that you see. Um, it's, it's just spectacular. And yeah, a lot of these buildings you can walk into, um, you know, you have to keep in mind that people live there. So you have to be sensitive about that of course mm -hmm. but a lot of the times the door is just ajar and you can just walk in walk through and just see like spectacular paintings and stained glass and a lot of the buildings are being restored now as well so a couple of hotels or cafes um, there's a really great one called unfound door a restaurant and a hotel 
and just just absolutely gorgeous buildings. How about a strange festival or event or tradition? Right. So this one is strange, but also very beautiful because it's a religious festival. So religion is very important um, in Georgia, Orthodox Christian country. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one, one of the festivals that takes place every year on Orthodox Christmas. So Georgia celebrates Christmas about two weeks after December 25th, um, January 7th. Um, and they have this festival or this parade or procession called Alilu. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a very old tradition. It was banned during the Soviet period um, that kind of came back in the 1990s when people had religious freedom again. And basically um, kids, adults, a lot of people take to the street. They close a lot of the major streets in Tbilisi. They also do this in other cities around the country. But yeah, they have this massive parade where everyone is dressed up, they're waving flags, they're singing Christmas carols. Uh, they have like carts pulled by oxes and sort of these traditional elements that uh, reference um, the historical importance of the parade. But yeah, basically they process through the streets. They start from um, First Republic Square in the center of Tbilisi and they end at Samiba, which is the big cathedral. Um, and along the way, people come come down and watch them and give donations. So they hand over food, clothing, household stuff. This all gets collected and donated to charity after the parade is finished. So it's a really interesting um, expression of Georgian culture. It's like a very patriotic thing. It's also like very religious. And then it has this really nice element of charity involved as well, which is like a beautiful uh, Christmas thing, uh, a really, really nice thing to observe when you're in Tbilisi. Um, I also want to mention though, there's a really interesting um, pre-Christian festival that takes place near Tbilisi um, in a few villages in Kakheti, the wine region. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens around Easter. It's more like a pagan thing. Um, so it's like a fertility rebirth sort of festival called Berika Oba. So similarly, they do a procession through the village, but they're dressed in these kind of haunting um, costumes and they carry whips. Um, and there's these sort of like menacing characters who come and rub mud on your face. But yeah, again, you offer food and um different offerings to have like a successful harvest season. So this is a really interesting pagan sort of um, pre-Christian thing that happens um, outside of Tbilisi, but very close to the city. Um, and then in Tbilisi, you can find this uh, statue called the Berika Oba statue, which is a lot of people pass it by because it's in the center of town, but they don't really know what it is. But yeah, it's a statue that pays tribute to this uh, Berika Oba festival that happens in Kakheti. I actually wanted to ask about, because you mentioned the Orthodox Christmas being the 7th of January and the procession, uh, does anything happen around, you know, 24th, 25th of December or is it completely overlooked? Um, so 24th, 25th is, yeah, it's not, um, it's not something that locals uh, would celebrate, mm-hmm. but, you know, there are a, a bigger number of expats and foreigners in Tbilisi now, so that you will find events that are held on Um, December 25th in particular. And also the biggest night of the year for this Christmas period is um, December 31st. It overshadows Orthodox Christmas um, big time. And this is something that's left over from the Soviet period because Orthodox Christmas was not allowed. Mm -hmm. So people like um, had their celebrations on um, December 31st instead. So this is like the big night of the of the period. Um, So December 25th is kind of when the markets and the events and the lead up to New Year's starts happening so a lot of things open up around the 25th um but yeah biggest night the the night you want to be in Tbilisi uh is definitely December 31st there is this like no holds barred 
fireworks display that is just insane. Everyone's setting off fireworks, like both vertically and horizontally from balconies. <laughs> um, it's just mayhem. Wow. Horizontally sounds fun. <laughs> Okay, so next I'll ask you your recommendation for a strange thing to eat or drink in Tbilisi. So I'm going to go with the uh, classic awful dish of Georgia. Yep. It's called kashi. Um, it's a soup. It's kind of like a clearish broth, but it's made with beef, intestines, tripe, shank, vegetables, and garlic. Um, in Georgia, it, it's actually, you can find it in lots of different countries, even in Iran and Bosnia and Herzegovina, I think. Um, but in Georgia, it's like known as a hangover soup. So it's something you would eat the morning after the night before. Um, and it's, uh, it goes back to being like a peasant dish that people would cook with the leftovers of the meat that they gave to the rich. Mm-hmm. In Tbilisi, it's very popular. You'll find small restaurants that specialize in this dish, um, not on Google Maps or anything like that. You just look for the sign and you usually go down. They're usually like in a basement, very local kind of um, old school places. Um, a lot of places serve it with chacha, which is the Georgian spirit. So it's like a great pomace liquor, very strong. Um, so hair of the dog and all that. Is it like a brandy, like a clear brandy? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's made from grape. Um, so it would be like um, like grappa. Georgian ouzo. Yeah, grappa, exactly, exactly. So it has like they don't really do flavors like they do with raki or something. It's mm-hmm. it's mostly just takes tastes like fire. But yeah, you can have this with your soup. That's kind of traditional. There's a really nice restaurant in Tbilisi called Culinarium Kashiria. So it's named after the dish, Kashi, Kashiria. Mm-hmm. And the chef, um, Chef Takuna, she's like a celebrity chef and she's known for um, doing like unorthodox twists on Georgian classics. So her version of the Kashi is very palatable because she does a little Asian twist. It's got some kombu and ginger in there. So it makes it you know, a, a little bit different. Um, I recommend for your first kashi, uh, you can have it um, at this place. It's a very nice restaurant. This is the gateway kashi. Exactly. How about a strange myth or legend or slice of history in Tbilisi? So many. Um, you know, I mentioned these houses. All, the, all these houses have a, have a story behind them because there's always some like insane, like romantic story or something about the owner. But I want to talk about actually the origin story of Tbilisi um, because it's connected to a part of the city um, that is still there today. And it's still sort of a, a top activity, which is to visit these sulfur baths. Um, so there's a district in the old town called Abanutubani, mm-hmm. into the bath district. And these sulfur bars are like the reason Tbilisi exists, if you believe this legend. So the legend says that um, in the 5th century, the king of Iberia, so this is before Georgia was um, unified, it was two kingdoms, king of Iberia, Vaktang, he was out hunting with his falcon. His falcon chases a pheasant um, and they disappear. And then King Vaktang finds the bo- both the birds and they've fallen into a pool of hot water. Um, I guess they got cooked in the water. <laughs> um, and he realizes that there's this incredible network of warm springs in this place in the forest. And he sort of decrees that a city, the capital of Georgia, should be built on this place. So 
um, Tbilisi in Georgian means warm. So Tbilisi is warm place. Mm -hmm. And the city is named after these springs. They're like natural sulfur springs that run under the city. Right in the old town, there's like a waterfall and this sort of sulfur stream, which is like quite bizarre, but it's right in the center of the city. And then around it, you have these brick bathhouses. So they're like Persian Ottoman style. In the heyday, there was up to 65 of these bathhouses. Now there's maybe a dozen. And they sit on these springs and they're fed by the natural sulfuric water. So going into the, one of these bathhouses and having this um, this therapeutic treatment is a very like classic thing to do. And yeah, lots of like both legends and pop culture um, stuff intertwined with these bathhouses, which are really kind of like the heart and soul of Tbilisi. Um, so people like Alexander Pushkin came and and bathed in the waters and wrote about it in his journals. And then you have these stories of women who came to the sulfur baths. And because back in the day, you know, it's public, so everyone's nude. So they're like checking out the young women for their to be their daughter-in-law. This is where they go to like scope out the <laughs> the young girls. Um, this beautiful novel um, called Ali and Nino by Kerbin Said, which you have to read before you come to Georgia or this part of the world. They have some scene, he has some scenes set at the sulfur baths. Um, and then the weirdest thing, the weirdest story, um, the baths are, you know, they have healing properties. It's good for your skin, good for all sorts of things. So there's a Kajari uh, invader. So Tbilisi is invaded like so many times over its history, but there's this particular Kajari invader, um, Aga Muhammad Khan, and he comes to Tbilisi in 1795. And it's said that he went to the sulfur baths to find a cure for his particular illness, which was that he was castrated when he was a young boy. Mm -hmm. um, and he's very disappointed because the sulfur baths don't replenish him in the way that he had hoped. <laughs> right. Um, and he just destroys the city. And wow. Okay. 1795, it's a, like this for sure really happened because um, everything you see in Tbilisi, there's only a small handful of buildings that are before um, 1795 because the city is literally destroyed. So maybe this is why he did it. Wow, I thought castration was meant to, you know, calm people down a bit and not make them quite as aggressive. <laughs> yeah, he definitely let Tbilisi have it after that, so unfortunately. Wow. What did he expect to... Castration, it's like literally cut off, right? Did he expect them to grow back? I think so, yeah. That's what I've read. That's asking a lot of sulfur water. I know. It's a bit, it's a bit much. The waters, though, they are, they are like quite, you know, you've got that rotten egg smell, but people, um, it's still very popular. And there's a really interesting um, museum called the Museum for the History of Georgian Medicine, which I highly recommend. It's small and obscure, but it has a section about the sulfur baths um, and about other mineral waters across Georgia because there, there are springs everywhere that people go um, and bathe in for their healing properties. Amazing. So the baths, there's obviously bathing. Are there like treatments and things around? Is it like a kind of a Turkish bath style? Exactly. It's like a hammam, um, but not. It's kind of like the Georgian version of that. So you can have a, a scrub, which is like a kisa or kisi, they call it. Um, it, it. Yeah, you kind of have to experience it. It's just like a bit weird. It's not, not definitely not as, um, I would say, luxurious as a, a nice hammam in Istanbul. It's mm -hmm. a little bit um, more salt of the earth, but you do the bathhouse themselves are some of them are really stunning because they have the curved roofs and the marble and the mosaics so it's a very interesting experience are there any customs of visitors to tbilisi that might be perceived as strange by the locals 
So I would say that Georgians are very forgiving and there aren't too many cultural faux pas. Mm-hmm. But one thing, and this is kind of, you know, if you did this, you you would get laughed at um, more than anything. But it is important not to eat kinkali. So kinkali are the Georgian um, dumplings that are these big fist-sized meaty dumplings. You never eat these with a knife and fork. This is definitely a no-no. Right, okay. The reason is that they're filled with soup. So if you were to cut it on your plate, you would just make a terrible mess and you're wasting the best part of the dumpling, which is the juicy liquid from the meat that's inside. So the correct thing to do is to put the cutlery away, just to grab them with your hands and you, you bite a little hole in the dumpling. You have to drink the soup so that it doesn't go all over you um, and then you yeah continue with eating um, the rest of the, the dumpling and the the meat filling inside they're all different kinds of kinkali uh, you can get like vegetarian potato ones and maybe those are okay with a knife and fork but never never touch a, a, a traditional meat kinkali with a knife um, it's just a no-no Okay, so are these um, like potato dumplings, bread dumplings, or are they like wheat, more like gnocchi? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like um, like a doughy, a doughy um, wrapper that's wrapped around a little ball of. The most traditional version is from the mountains, and it's like beef. Mm-hmm. But in um, in Tbilisi, you find them. Um, they're like urban dumplings, so they're um, a blend of um, pork and beef, and with maybe a little bit of seasoning inside them. So they're very simple, but they're like very, very popular. I mean, it's like the signature dish um, of Georgia for sure. And you, it's very interesting when you go to restaurants and most places you have to order five and they're massive, you know, you, there's only so many you can eat, but you go to these restaurants, if you can sit, like have a look at a table of Georgians who have a big gathering and see what a hundred kinkali look like on the table, it's very <laughs> impressive. Are they stacked like Ferrero Rocher? They've no, they have to be flat. Maybe you can go too deep, maybe, but they, they should be sort of flat on the plate because once they touch each other, they stick and they break and you lose the juice. So yeah, you have to have these massive platters where they're all sort of laying in a, in a tiny little bit of hot water. Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Last but not least, can you recommend a strange day trip from Tbilisi? So this is a place I only visited very recently. It's managed to uh, elude me for a long time, but it's a it's a city called Rustavi, mm-hmm. uh, very close to Tbilisi, and these days it's a big city. But what makes it interesting was that it was what they call a Soviet monotown. So it was established in 1948. Of course, there was a settlement there earlier. There's a, an old fortress and stuff, but pretty much everything you see today was purpose-built in the 50s around this metallurgy factory. So Soviets built a big industrial metallurgy plant um, and then all the apartments, schools, parks, infrastructure is purpose-built for workers and their families at that plant. Um, So it's like a very interesting um, example of how a city was planned in Soviet times. All the architecture is Soviet period. So you have like these brutalist apartment buildings and these really beautiful empire style um, theaters and music schools, um, fantastic mosaics, of course. I love, um, I love mosaics. Um, so some really nice examples. And it's interesting. It's kind of like a time capsule in a way from that period. But then, you know, of course, it's not because it's still a big city. A lot of people live there. So it's changing. You know, these buildings are getting um, refacaded. And it's interesting to see the little details that they've chosen to keep. 
and then you have street art kind of mixed in and like little cafes and it's a really really interesting example of like Soviet period meets contemporary Georgia and how that kind of works out um in the in the in the contemporary period and yeah a really really interesting especially if you're into architecture and like urbexing and that sort of thing um it's a fantastic day trip are there any like in terms of the remnants of the socialist architecture or as are there any um any sculptures is there a big starling kicking around or anything like that there's one mosaic and you can see in front of it a plinth and for sure, this plinth would have had a, a bust of Stalin. But pretty much everywhere in Georgia now, though, those have been removed, Stalin and Lenin statues, with, with some exceptions. You can still find them dotted around the place. But anywhere prominent, um, especially uh, where tourists are coming, um, they have they have removed those. And But, yeah, often sometimes you'll see them sort of uh, – I can think of a couple example of examples where you see a bust or a head of Lenin just sitting in a garden or in, in the corner of a park kind of with leaves thrown over the top of it. So people, yeah, remove them, um, but oftentimes they just get discarded. And then, of course, tourists go and try and find them anyway. <laughs> Okay, so that's the strange stuff done. Can you give me a few straight up recommendations for Tbilisi, the things that you think people shouldn't miss? Sure. So I I think I mentioned wine, but I haven't really uh, spoken much about wine. Wine is definitely a huge part of Georgian culture Mm -hmm. and a must do in Tbilisi, uh, whether it's, you know, preferably to do a wine tasting, I think is a really nice experience. So there are bars that do like a more formal degustation um some have the sommeliers who work in-house so to do to do one of these um degustations where you learn about um georgian wine history you know that's a big part of it and then obviously tasting wines from different corners of the country because wine is produced pretty much everywhere um a couple of bars that i really like are eight thousand vintages uh, and wine library they both do degustations so i definitely recommend doing that it doesn't have to be a degustation just go to a wine bar and drink there's good wine everywhere, I assume. Any bar you walk up in, they'll, they'll have a good selection of wine. Usually, yeah. Oftentimes, you'll go to a small restaurant and ask for the house wine. It might be like, I don't know, two, $2 a glass or something like that. Oftentimes, it's really nice. You know, maybe someone at the restaurant makes it at home and brings it in. So, yeah, you, you can't you can't go too wrong. Um, and, and it's not just for wine people either. Like, I don't know anything about wine, but it's always such a nice experience because it is so much about the history and the culture um, that it's really, it goes far beyond just the technicalities of winemaking. Is there a particular kind you'd recommend ordering? I mean, red or white or a basic level or a particular grape? So I love I love semi-sweet red wine, which Georgia is kind of famous for. There's one called Konchkara, which is from a region called Racha. But my friend recently opened a wine bar, uh, my friend Irakli, and it's called uh, Wintage. And he's trying to get me off the semi-sweet wines. So more into the dry wines. I mean, another Georgian classic is the, um, as you were saying, the quevery, so the clay pot wine, because mm-hmm. not all of them are done in quevery. Some winemakers use European methods. So anything that's done in quevery is very interesting because it's it's not probably not like anything you've tasted before. It's like really tanniny and rich and then these um they call them amber wines so they're they're white wines but they have this sort of deep amber color and that's because in the quivery they're fermented with their skins and their seeds so you get all these like different sort of interactions with the grape so yeah doing like a a a quivery wine amber wine and then yeah do a little semi-sweet red as well because i think they're delicious (laughs) 
Um, other mosques in Tbilisi, I mean, it's a very um, pedestrian-oriented city, especially the old part of the city. So it's a really good place just to walk and sort of get lost. There's a, a district called Sololaki, which is one of the oldest neighbourhoods where a lot of these beautiful um, mansion houses and apartments that I was talking about are located. And then on the other side of the river, you have a neighbourhood called Chigretti, which was a German colony. So it has a very interesting style of architecture. Um, it became part of the city later. When, when was this? When was the German colony? Um, it was during the Russian Empire. It was Catherine the Great, I think, who brought over um, Swabian German families to settle in Georgia. And yeah, so when you walk in this Chigretti district, you see these little square parks and these are like the agricultural plots that used to be um, in the colony. It's so interesting. You know, they befell a very sad fate, the Germans in Georgia, unfortunately, but um, there are like efforts to document their their history and the mark that they left on the city. It's it's really, really interesting story. But yeah, just exploring on foot is, you know, that, that's a bit boring, but that's kind of an awesome thing to do. Um, you'll also see in the centre of Tbilisi, um, there's a castle called Narakala Castle, mm-hmm. and there's a cable car that goes to the castle. Um, so there's not much left of the castle, but it's a really nice viewpoint. The open air ethnography museum is really interesting. It's on another hill and it um, has houses from all the different regions of Georgia. Georgia, if you're interested in in sort of experiencing a little taste of the different regions, maybe if you if you only have time to visit Tbilisi, this is a really good museum because you see a little slice of life from different parts of the country. So is it an open air museum like Wisconsin? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. The, this fantastic um, ethnographer he uh, went went around the country and found like really good examples of the vernacular architecture in the different regions, and he like removed the houses and shipped them to Tbilisi and set them up in this um, museum grounds. It's really cool. It's great for kids as well. Um, So yeah, Narakala Castle, this ethnography museum, I definitely recommend. Um, Another really interesting one is the Drybridge Market, which you might have visited. Um, It's this daily flea market that is held in the city. Um, it's, it's, yeah, every day, but it's nice to go on a weekend. It's kind of busier. But they have um, all sorts of like bric-a-brac and antiques and vintage stuff. And, you know, a lot of it's from the Soviet period, um, like records and cameras and pins and all this kind of weird stuff that you can sift through. Um, and it, the market started in the 90s when people would, you know, there was a, a big um, sort of catastrophe in Georgia. People would come here just to like, sell their possessions and make a little bit of money over time it's kind of has become more of a flea market so it's a bit more tourist oriented Mm -hmm. but still like such a cool experience Um, i love going there and just walking through on the weekend so why should people visit tbilisi now visit tbilisi now because it's changing the city is really changing fast and uh for good and for not so good a a lot of things are getting like a lot of areas are getting redeveloped a lot of this means a lot of historical buildings getting preserved which is fantastic but then there's a lot of gentrification as well and people who have been in Tbilisi for longer than I would say this has been going on for much a much longer period of time but I really feel like in the last couple of years it's really sped up the pace of change so I would come now to see Tbilisi as it is still a little bit of a hidden gem, you know, it, it gets busy. Certainly there are, it's, you know, it's on the tourist map, but it's still relatively quiet. It's still 
um, very affordable place to travel. So I would say, yeah, I mean, now now is a great time to visit Georgia before it kind of turns the corner of becoming a little bit different. And I don't say that as a as a positive or a negative. It's just a fact that it's, that it's changing. So especially if you're interested in this historical stuff that um, I've been talking a lot about, the old buildings, um, Soviet stuff, that is kind of disappearing a little bit. I can imagine, I mean, things like the, when you mentioned the going into apartment buildings, I can imagine that's the kind of thing that will be gated off in five years time. Yeah. Already you see some, certainly not um, all, but you see some of the more popular places that are on Instagram, people getting a little bit tired of tourists coming in, which is fair enough. So you, you just, you like signs, please do not enter. And that that's a very new thing because before that, there was just simply not not a lot of tourists are doing this sort of thing. So I expect that will kind of become more the norm. Yeah, at the moment, you still have great freedom in Tbilisi to um, explore as, as you wish. Um, and people are not, you know, tired of tourists. People are still very, like, welcoming of foreigners. So, yeah, it's it's a really nice time in the in the city's history. What's the best time of year to visit generally? So uh, I'll be very specific. Okay. there is a... a perfect time of year which is from the middle of September until the end of October it's beautiful weather usually okay maybe maybe it might rain I'm not sure I can't guarantee but usually traditionally it's like they even call September the fourth month of summer because it's it remains warm and sunny beautiful blue skies but it's the the temperature is obviously a lot more mild um, autumn though is like such a great time in Georgia because this is when the wine the grape harvest takes place it starts in the east and makes its way to the west so it changes every year but it's usually starting in mid to late September and so the whole country has wine on its mind you know everyone's going on the weekend to the village to pick grapes every vineyard is sort of swept up in this you know very busy but very festive time of year when you're picking grapes and crushing grapes um, and making the wine for for next year so it's a really awesome time to be um, in Tbilisi, they have uh, the biggest festival of the year, Tbilisoba, the day of Tbilisi, is held usually in uh, the first weekend of October. And this is like a huge folk festival, a lot of wine, a lot of food, a lot of um, like traditional dance and singing. And that that's an awesome um, experience in Tbilisi. Uh, so yeah, September, October is perfect. Finally, what's the strangest sight you've seen elsewhere in the old world? I recently wrote a city guide for Hue in Vietnam for a publication called Postcards. And it took me back to when I lived in Vietnam. And I went to this amazing place um, outside of Hue called Ang Bang Cemetery. Or they also call it the City of Ghosts. And it's basically this massive cemetery with very, very ornate mausoleums and graves that are built. They kind of, what I like about it is, you know, Hue is where the royal tombs are located. And you see these like amazing mosaics and sculptures and these contemporary graves they kind of mirror like little bits of that um those royal tombs so you have like this dragon imagery and these like very opulent carvings and mosaics and um it's 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 a crazy place you can just walk for hours amongst the graves and you know see like you know each one is like more more spectacular than the next um and yeah I, I really like that place I have a really like strong memory of being there when it was pouring rain but it was uh a very like spooky and surreal experience. There we have it, strange old Tbilisi. 
A big thanks to Emily Lush for all her recommendations. You'll find them, along with a map, up on our website, strangeoldworld.com. And you can get loads more Georgia travel advice on Emily's blog, wander-lush.org. She's also got those guidebooks, don't forget. The links are in the podcast description. Finally, as promised, here's my odd Tbilisi site, the Rezo Gabriadze Theatre. The building itself is pretty cool. It has a clock tower that looks as if it's about to collapse. Every hour, an angel pops out to strike the bell and there's a little parade. It's a bit like the astronomical clock in Prague, but less disappointing. What's inside is even more interesting. This is a puppet theatre, but not a child-friendly one. Instead, they put on shows about the Battle of Stalingrad and post-war poverty in Georgia. You'll be surprised how much you can be moved by marionettes. Right, let's call it a day. See you next time on Strange Old World. The music is by William King and this was a Junior Productions production.